All right. Good morning, everybody. Hello, in case you don't know me. Yes, I am Judy, and I'm reading the book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom black, blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words, spoken, words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faithful and pray in the Holy Spirit. Sorry, holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, 
power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. At my house where I live, apparently there used to be a peach tree at the place that was so big that they had a tire swing hanging on one of its branches. It was that big and healthy. But then they went away for a couple of years and they rented it out, not to me. And um, when they came back, the peach tree was dying. It had been poisoned somehow. I hate hearing stories like that. I hate hearing stories of, of things that were good going bad, like watching Afghanistan go bad after so much sacrifice and hard work was just tragic. Watching America become more and more divided is, is just so painful. Watching something good go bad is terrible. Today we're, we're looking at a, a little letter written by Jude. Um, you guys started this last week. I think Scott went through Obadiah and he's up at Golden Grove today um, uh, preaching up there on Obadiah. So we're, we're looking at a, a series of little letters. Today we're looking at Jude and it's a call really for people to step up and stop something good going bad. It's a call to not just sit back and watch it happen, but to actually get out there and change what's happening. Healthy churches were being poisoned, and so Jude writes this letter. We don't know a lot about Jude, who writes this letter. In verse 1, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, which is a bit of a strange way to think to introduce yourself if you think about it. You know, if I jumped up and said, hi, I'm Stephen, a brother of Tim, it doesn't really tell you a lot about me, does it? But probably this is the same Jude who was the brother of James, a well-known leader in the church in Jerusalem. And if that's the case, it means that Jude is actually also the half-brother of Jesus himself. Now, we might wonder why he doesn't just introduce himself as Jesus' half-brother, but it's probably because that would sound like he's claiming that they should listen to him based on being a blood relative of Jesus, as if that gives him some kind of special authority. But think about that. You know, if Scott Morrison's brother knocked on your door later this afternoon and said to you, I'm just putting you all into lockdown for two weeks, would you listen to him? I certainly wouldn't. Just being, you know, ScoMo's bro is no reason to boss people around. What qualifies Jude to write this letter is not being Jesus' brother, but being his servant sent by him. You might rem remember that to begin with, none of Jesus' brothers actually believed in him. It wasn't until after they saw him alive, resurrected from the dead, that they actually followed him. And they became people who took the message, key people who took the message about Jesus right around the world at the time. So probably the, the author of this letter is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, the full brother of James, a bloke who's given his life to telling people about Jesus. And as we keep reading, we see who the letter is addressed to in verse 1. It's to those who've been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. These things, called, loved, kept, they describe all Christians, don't they? They describe anyone who is a, a true follower of Jesus. And so this letter is probably actually Jude writing to a whole heap of churches where he's been involved and possibly even somewhere he hasn't been involved. And in some ways, this letter is very simple. There are three parts to it. 
Jude tells them what he wants them to do. He tells them how he, why he wants them to do it. And he tells them how he wants them to do it. So first of all, very early in the letter, he tells them what he wants them to do. Have a look at verse 3 where we see this. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, so he, he wanted to write a bigger picture kind of letter like Romans or like uh, Hebrews, but instead there was something far more urgent. And so he says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. What he wants them to do is contend for the faith. He's asking them to exert intense effort on behalf of something. He's asking them to struggle for a cause. And, and the cause that they're to contend for is the faith. But did you notice how he puts it? He urges them to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to them. It's not their personal faith or their version of the faith that they're to can contend for. The idea is that they've had passed on to them some key truths of what it means to follow Jesus. And they could deepen their understanding of these truths. That was the letter that Jude wanted to write. They could deepen their understanding, but they could never move on from these truths or outgrow them or soften them or modernize them. Instead, Jude tells them they need to fight for them. Most of us, I reckon, are not super keen for this. Um, in fact, I reckon I'd be worried if we were super keen for this. Occasionally, you do come across people who are contentious kind of people. They love a good argument. But what you find is, is they're not really contending for the faith, those kind of people. They're actually contentious about most things in life. But I reckon most of us just aren't like that. Most of us don't like to rock the boat. We prefer to keep things comfortable and easy. And if something needs to be said or done, we'd prefer it if someone else said it or did it. But Jude tells these Christians, all of them, they need to contend for the faith as it was originally entrusted to them. That's what he's telling them they need to do. That, that's, that's the what. Contend for the faith. It's the basic message of this letter. But as Judy was reading it before, you will have noticed most of it's not, not really the details of that. Most of it is, is the why they need to do it. Most of the content is about trying to get them to feel the weight of the threat that they face. It's quite a heavy letter. So look again at verse 4. He writes, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Why he wants them to contend for the faith is because ungodly people have slipped in. They've been infiltrated by people who aren't on the same page as them, and it's like they don't even realize it. Uh, a couple of years ago, my kids started playing this game on the phone called Among Us. Who's played it? Just come clean, admit it. What? Gosh. Only about three people. That's terrible. Anyway, let me explain it. All the oldies at Modbury had played it, but anyway. <laughs> Basically, in this, in this game, you're on a spaceship, right? And um, some of the crew are just ordinary, team-minded kind of people just trying to keep the spaceship going. But some of the crew are psychopaths trying to kill the rest of the crew. It's a great kids kind of game. 
And what happens is in the game, every so often you take a vote as to who you should throw out because they might be an imposter. But the imposters get to vote as well, of course. And most of the time, you're just guessing who is the imposter. But sometimes you know for a fact who's the fraud because you saw them murder one of your crewmates. And in that case, it's not hard to know who, uh, who is the imposter. It's just hard to convince everyone else that they should join you in dealing with the problem. Now, for most of this letter, Jude is telling them why they need to wake up and deal with the problem, why they need to contend for the faith. And it's because they've been inf- infiltrated by imposters. And he tells them how they can identify them. Have a look in verse 4. He says, They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude is saying you can recognize them by how they live. Because these imposters, what, what they've done is they've heard the truth that they'll never be good enough for God. They've heard that it's only because of God's grace, His mercy, that He freely forgives us. They've heard that all we need to do is accept His forgiveness as a free gift and He makes us His children. They, they've heard that, which is all completely true. But then they twist that. What they don't want to hear is that being God's children means we give up living for ourselves and we now live for Jesus as our only sovereign and Lord. We now deny ourselves so that we can live for him. But these people, they take the grace of God and they say, if all is freely forgiven, well, that means I've got a license to do whatever I want. Now, let me just clarify something. Jude isn't talking about people who aren't Christian among us. That's not what he's talking about here. He isn't talking about people at church who are not sure where they're at with Jesus or people at church who are just checking Jesus out. He's not talking about about you at all, if that's you. He's talking about people who claim to be Christians, people who maybe think they really are Christians, people that others think are Christians, people who possibly even... Are leaders, community group leaders or ministry team leaders, youth group leaders, pastors even. This is, this is the kind of people that he's talking about. And this is like someone, these kind of people, it's like they've used their company credit card over Christmas for their own personal use. And they've racked up a, a $30,000 debt. It's like their boss finds out after Christmas and, and calls them in. But for some reason decides to show them unbelievable grace. She pays their debts out of her own personal bank account and doesn't even require them to pay her back. She just says, look, from now on, I just want you to know how valuable you are to this company and I want you to live and work in a way that honors your company and stays focused on the job. But it's like this person walks out of the office and thinks... Awesome. If she's willing to pay my debts, well, let's go shopping. And that's, that's not just a simple misunderstanding of what's going on, is it? That's a deliberate twisting of the grace that was shown to them. And that's what these people are doing. They're saying, awesome. If following Jesus means everything is forgiven, well, let's carry on doing what we want. Their lives are saying they're not really following Jesus at all. 
Do you notice in this letter, as it, as it was read before, that, that nowhere does Jude say that these people are teaching something wrong? You know, his issue with them isn't some technical theological debate that he addresses. The threat here that Jude's pointing out, it's, it's much more basic than that. Their lives are denying Jesus as their only sovereign and Lord. Because they show they don't really care about Jesus being their only sovereign and Lord. And so Jude says, look at how these people live. And you can see if they're imposters or not. You might recognize that's, that's a common theme in the Bible, actually. It's not just Jude who says it. It's Paul who says that. It's Jesus, even, who says it. You can tell what a Christian really believes, not by what they, they say they believe, but by how they really live. And think about that. You can tell what you really believe by how you really live. When it comes down to it for you, who calls the shots in your life? You or your only sovereign, Jesus? You know, when there's a clash between what you want and what Jesus wants, who wins in that fight? Do you fight the tiring battle against what you want so that you can do what he wants? Or do you alter what you believe, what you think, so that what you want conveniently becomes what Jesus really wanted for you all along. You can tell what a Christian really believes, not by what they say they believe, but by how they really live. Do they struggle against their own sin? Well, then they really believe Jesus is Lord. Or do they embrace their own sin, love it, and promote it? Then they don't really believe Jesus is Lord. And as we keep reading this letter this is exactly what we see these imposs- these imposters they embrace their own sin they love it they promote it so have a look at verse 5 in verse 5 they're compared to some of God's people that he saved out of Egypt who then grumbled against God in verse 6 they're compared to angels who rebelled against the privileged position that God had given them in verse 7 they're compared to Sodom and Gomorrah that embraced sexual immorality without any qualms whatsoever And in verse 8, we probably get the clearest description of what these people were doing. Jude writes, On the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. Now, even with these details, it's still hard to know exactly what that means. But from this, we can see that rather than contend for the faith as it was originally given to them, These people, they're guided by their dreams on the strength of their own spiritual experiences. They're going against God's word. They're going against God's command for sexual purity. They're contending against those who would contend for the faith. They speak spiritual nonsense about things they don't really understand, about good angels and bad angels, things that don't really matter, and they end up slandering slandering what they don't understand. And the things that they do understand all too well, are not spiritual things, but the things of natural instincts and appetites. And they're very, very happy to slap a spiritual label on unspiritual things, polluted things, to justify what they really want. As you read this whole letter, you you can see it's quite clear that one of the main things that they're doing is they're justifying sex outside of God's design for sex. You keep seeing that directly and alluded to. God says sex is is a, a powerful, 
pure gift for a man and a woman in lifelong marriage. But these people, they find ways to say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's powerful. Yeah, it's a pure gift. But it's not just to be kept in marriage. It's not just between one man and one woman in marriage. We've moved on from that. We know God's not repressive. He's made us sexual beings. We, we shouldn't get hung up about that. And they might say things like, you know, God has taken me on a spiritual journey to discover this. I used to be like you. I used to think like you. But now I see that where there's respect and consent, well, God blesses all kinds of sexual relationships, whatever they are. Now that's not, it sounds very much like a modern way of thinking, doesn't it? That's not a modern way of thinking. It's exactly the kind of thinking that most of the letters in the New Testament address. You know, wherever you hear people say things like, we need to move with the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Or we need to move where the Spirit is taking us in this age. Whenever we hear that, we should hear Jude saying to us, we need to wake up and listen very carefully to whatever they say next. Because where the Spirit actually leads us is to stand unmoved in Jesus. We never move on from the truths that have been entrusted to us once for all time in Jesus. It's so easy for us to couch uh, our own desires or our culture's desires in the language of spirituality. People will do that. But we need to decide whether we're going to build our lives on the strength of, of human dreams and longings or on the strength of God, which he says is shown by Jesus dying on a cross to purify a people who are zealous to do good. Now, you will have noticed, as we've read through this letter before, that Jude just doesn't hold back. It's a bit confronting. You know, reject God. Mislead other people to reject God too, all while claiming to be led by God. And that's extremely dangerous ground to be standing on. But that makes sense when you think about it. You know, if someone tries to sell one of my kids ice, I'm going to be pretty unhappy. If it's one of their teachers at school or a youth group, I'm going to be livid. Of course God is angry about this. But the nature of imposters is that in order for them to do what they want, they need others to come along with them. And so they drag them down with them. Jude puts them on the same par as Cain in verse 11, who dragged humanity into a new phase of murder. He puts them on the same par as Balaam, who dragged God's people into a new phase of sexual immorality. And he puts them on the same par as Korah, who dragged a whole heap of God's people down with him by leading them to reject God's appointed leaders and to reject God's appointed way of worshipping him. And their fate, in verse 7, is to suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Judah is so serious about imposters because the impact they can have on God's people is so serious. And yes, Jesus forgives all sins past, present, and future for anyone who calls on him as Lord. But if we start saying it doesn't really matter what Jesus wants, sin doesn't really matter, then we're actually in serious danger of denying Jesus as our sovereign and Lord and leading other people to do the same. Now at this point, 
if you know your Bible well, you, you will have noticed that Jude does something quite unusual. He's been quoting all these different Old Testament passages and bringing them all together to prove just how serious the threat is. That's all fairly normal. But then he quotes something that's not in the Bible. He quotes a book called the Book of Enoch. And we find this quite a strange thing to do because we think, isn't this Jude himself moving on from the Word of God? But this was a book that they would have been very familiar with. And just like Paul quotes Greek poets and uh, Greek philosophers, even calling them prophets, here Jude is doing a similar thing with this book. He's not saying it's scripture, but he's saying what is in this book accurately reflects what is in scripture. And you see this when when he says in verse 14, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness, and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And his point in quoting this book of Enoch is that those whose lives deny Jesus and try to tell others that that's fine, they're actually speaking defiant words against God himself, and God will deal with that and judge them for it. I, um, I told one of my kids that I was going to be um, speaking on Jude and that it's quite a tricky book. And then the next day at breakfast, uh, they came along and said, I read Jude last night. It's not tricky. <laughs> it's kind of like, what do you mean? And they said, it's just about, it's just saying that some bad people had got into their church. So I was kind of like, well, you preach it then, buddy. <laughs> but actually, he, he was right. You know, that captures most of the letter. And the way Jude talks, you know, you could draw the conclusion that it's quite a simple thing to spot these people. And in some ways it is. Their lives actually show that they're defiant to Jesus. But what's not simple, I don't reckon, is what to do next. What's not simple is is being willing to to contend against that. It's not like the people that Jude is describing all look like Cruella de Vil or something like that they probably look a lot more like me. They're very happily there among everyone else. They're even described as as shepherds in Jude. They're not necessarily all that easy to spot. And they probably cause division amongst God's people because some people sense that they're imposters, but a lot of people think they're pretty great, actually. And so Jude tells us we need to wake up and we need to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to us Because turning a blind eye and and just doing nothing is so devastating. So the question is, how? How do we do it? How do we contend for the faith? In the game Among Us, you know, you contend for the spaceship by taking a vote and tossing people out. And what usually happens in the game is that you find out that you tossed out the wrong person and the imposter is still among you. It's terrifying. But look at the way that Jude tells us that we're to contend for the faith. In verse 20, it's surprising. He says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Jude says, Keep yourselves in God's love. The way to contend for the faith is by keeping ourselves in God's love. It's not by going on some kind of witch hunt or vigilante. The way to contend for the faith is to grow stronger 
and stronger in the true faith. Do you see how we're to build ourselves up in in our faith in verse 20? Pray in the Spirit and wait for Jesus to bring us to eternal life. And notice this isn't individualistic. This isn't, this isn't just build yourself up. It's build yourselves up. This takes a community to do this. As a community builds itself up strong in the true faith, each and every part of it contends for the faith. There's no secret police. There's no integ- interrogation or anything like that. The way to contend for the faith is by helping each other live and breathe God's grace, true grace. Live and breathe true surrender to Jesus as Lord. We contend for the faith as we help each other live in God's love, breathe God's love, surrender to God's love. That's what will protect us from imposters. And again, notice it's not just the leaders who are to do this, to contend for the faith. It's not just the leaders who are to help each other stay in God's love. It's a whole community kind of thing. Everyone knowing God's grace deeply, everyone knowing Jesus' lordship truly, so that everyone instinctively recognizes when we step outside of grace or step outside of his lordship and recognizes that that is to cut ourselves off from his love. It's really clear that Jude is not telling us to be like the secret police waiting to jump on each other. In fact, look at what Jude tells us to do Look at how he tells us to treat each other when we struggle. Look at verse 22. He says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. When we find people doubting the truths and starting to believe the imposters, what are we to do? Be merciful to them. When we find people starting down the path of the imposters, playing with fire, what are we to do? We're to snatch them from the fire. And when we find people well on the way of the imposters, rolling in the same muck as them, what are we to do? Still show mercy. There's mercy at the heart of all the different responses here. But notice, it's mercy mixed with fear. You know, if you have just fear with no mercy, what you do is you... You try to get rid of all the bad eggs to protect the community. You cut everyone off who, who, who steps out of line until in the end there's pretty much no one left. If you have just mercy without fear, then what you're trying to do is just keep everyone happy together. But you risk taking sin too lightly and letting the corruption spread to yourself and to the whole community. Contending for the faith means holding both mercy and and fear together. We we love people, but we hate the effects of what sin does to people. And so we mercifully, fearfully do what we can to help keep people in God's love. And that that is actually the letter of Jude in a nutshell. And it'd be nice if we could just look at this and go, well, that was tricky for them and, and walk away from it. But the truth is that we need to contend for the faith today just as much, if not more, than they did back then. Every age sees a a new set of waves rolling in. And these days, in our global world, we probably see more waves than ever. And Jude shows us that if, if we're not helping build others up, if we're not 
helping each other be built up in the faith, praying in the Spirit, waiting for Jesus, then actually we're not contending for the faith. If we're, we're not seeing people doubt or walking down, starting down that path and doing something about it, then we're not, we're not actually contending for the faith. If we turn away and just leave them to it, leave it to someone else, that's not contending. This is the, the first month of a, of a new year, a tricky year. Maybe this is more important than ever, that before this year gets fully into swing, can I ask you, how is this going to be a year that you contend for the faith? For you, for your kids if you have them, for your church? You know, to do this, you need to know your faith so well. You need to be daily in prayer, daily uh, reading God's word so that you're able to recognize when those who are imposters are there. You can recognize it intuitively when people step outside of grace, step beyond God's lordship and know how to step in to snatch them from the flames. How are you going to do that this year? Be daily in God's word, daily in prayer. How are you going to help keep each other in God's love? Uh, it's great, the, the size of this church, you can really know everyone. But it's even better to be in a community group where you can really know a few and really pray for each other, help each other, uh, stay in God's love. Jude, it's, it's a bit of a daunting book and it can feel a bit overwhelming, uh, which is why as we finish, it's helpful to notice how Jude starts and how he ends. Do you notice... In verse 3, we are kept by God, he says. We're kept by God in verse 3. In verse 21, we really are to keep ourselves in God's love. But look at how Jude ends in verse 24. He writes, To him who is able to keep you, able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. We contend for the faith. We take those who threaten it seriously. And so we build each other up in the faith. We pray in the Spirit. We wait for Jesus. We show mercy to those who are caught in sin. And yet we do it all fully aware that this is actually God doing His work in us. In the end, it's God who keeps us for Jesus right to the end. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would uh, help Trinity Church Paraka to be a community that really is kept in your love. Lord, we know this is ultimately your work, but you give us each other. You give us your word. You give us your spirit. Lord, please help this to be a community that builds itself up, uh, in your love, cares for each other. And Lord, um, we pray that you'd be at work here so that um, false gospels, false understanding of grace, people who would, who would falsely claim to follow Jesus would not cause havoc and, and wreak destruction. Instead, this would be a place of mercy mixed with fear that truly does live and honor Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.